some of the major components where things get a little bit messed up in those relationships. And so today we're going to start with you and me just a little bit. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we kind of live in a self-obsessed society. Have you noticed this? We live in a selfie society where there are, there are so many people always pointing the camera back at themselves. Have you noticed? You're like, yes, I do it pretty much every day. This is not a social media rant by any means. This is simply just factual information. I looked it up this week and discovered that 1,000 selfies are posted to Instagram every 10 seconds. That's crazy. I learned that 93 million selfies are taken and, and, and uh, posted every single day. 93 million. I learned that the average number of pictures a person takes to get the right selfie, because you've got to have the right one, the average number is five. Five pictures of me to get a picture of me. Now, that means that some are more than that and some are less than that. So some are one, some are 20, whatever. So it just takes a long time to get that right shot. And millennials, they say, and this is not a knock on millennials, I think you're the best people ever, and I'm so glad you're here and you have a, you have a voice in our church and it's awesome. But just statistically, they say that millennials will take 25,700 selfies in their lifetime. That's about one a day and, and more for some. Like, that's a lot of selfies. And then if that wasn't enough, then there's all these filters that you can make yourself look even better. <laughs> then there's, there's apps like Photo Wonder, which got 100 million subscribers, and with, with uh, filters like Slimify. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like Blemish Fix and different makeup options. Facetune can wipe out your wrinkles and take care of your acne, which is awesome. Pick Monkey will whiten your teeth and give you a spray tan. Why am I not using that more often? Snapchat lets your photos disappear 10 seconds after they're viewed, just in case it wasn't quite the right one for you. Like, we are just full of all of this stuff where we only show the very best parts of ourselves. And so our Facebook and our Instagram profiles and everything that we have on social media, it is a finely curated and crafted view of ourselves because I want you to see only the very best in me. And it keeps us at kind of a shallow space. Like, I'm not a major selfie taker, but I want to just join the craze here this morning. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one here. Now, I don't, I don't understand fully how this works, because you can look at my Instagram feed. I don't have a lot of them, but, um, but yeah, up high, it has to be higher like this. And then you've got to do this, apparently. And then you've you got to, you know, do something else. I don't like that one. I'll just, I'll just take kind of a, just a... You know, I'm 43 years old, so duck lips don't work on me. Okay, so that's good. So then add a, let's see, add a little filter here. I'm sorry. Thanks for coming to church today. I'm just a, add a little filter here. That's, that'll be fine. And then I'm going to send it to Lisa back there because I want you to experience it with me. Send it. Okay, good. All right, uh, that should do it. Uh, Lisa, do you have, do you have my pick? Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. Yeah. Stop it. Uh, yeah, I could use a little bit more tuning because my nose looks like it's a little red. There's a problem there. I need some face tune. But, but, but it, it just curated perfectly. Like I just, I just want to show you exactly what I want you to see. And so many of our relationships are like this. Like nobody posts other selfies, right? Nobody, nobody posts the real ones. Well, I just happened to take a real one this morning when I woke up, and I want you to see it here. Just enjoy it and revel in it with me. There it is. That's me 
in my bathroom, about to get ready to come to church. Nobody else sees me like this, only my wife. And she loves it, by the way. Um, nobody. <laughs> Did someone say I feel sorry for her? That was not nice. That was not nice. I'm going to have to pray about that and forgiveness. Uh, you don't post these kinds of pictures. I don't post these kinds of pictures. Why do you not post pictures like this? It's fairly obvious. You don't want people to see you like this. You want people to see you at your very, very best. And that's how we are in so many relationships. I only want you to see just the surface level. I just want you to see just the very basics of what I want you to see. Not really the interior, what's really going on inside of me. And so we share, we share ourselves with, with hundreds of people uh, that are followers or, or even thousands of people or for some of you, tens of people. And that's good. You're doing great. Keep going. Like we share it with a bunch of people, but only the stuff we really want them to see curated, protected, withheld. And all this sharing, it kind of gives us a false sense of actually being connected and really having realistic relationships. As a society, we are more connected than we've ever been before, but we're also lonelier than we've ever been before. There's lots of studies to show that this is true. In fact, did you know that the UK recently, they have a, a new minister of loneliness? They have a minister of loneliness from the prime minister, we need a minister of loneliness because the epidemic has reached horrible, horrible proportions. Like they're saying that there's like 9 million people that are deeply lonely in the UK. I don't know how they got that stat. Uh, I'm not sure who signs up. Oh, that's me. I don't know how that works. I don't know if your neighbor who won't apparently go talk to you like ratted you out. I don't know how that worked. But people are deeply lonely and it's not just there. It's here too. We are surrounded on every side by people who are lonely. It's a worldwide problem. There's an article in Forbes magazine about a Cigna, like a Cigna health study on loneliness. And I think it was called, If You Feel Alone, You're Not Alone in Being Lonely. And here's what they said. They said, rates of loneliness have doubled since the 80s. Doubled since the 80s. Today, over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely. And research suggests the real number may well be higher. 53% of people in our country today have meaningful in-person social interactions. That means 53%, only 53% have actual conversations, long-term, like face-to-face, in-depth conversations with other people. There are plenty of other people that go days or weeks or a month without having any of those kinds of interactions. In fact, this study would say maybe about half. And the loneliest generation of adults is Generation Z, or those who are coming up right now, 18 to 22 years old. So let me read you a little bit of this study. It's kind of long, but hang with me. It says, a number of studies have shown that feeling lonely is associated with increased risks of health problems, such as coronary artery disease, declines in motor functions, and frailty, as well as earlier death. Of course, this can be a chicken and egg problem, meaning it's not completely clear what's the cause and what's the effect, rather than it being caused by eating chickens and eggs. Are health problems leading to loneliness or vice versa? And what other factors may be mediating these effects? For example, could bad work environments be leading to both health-threatening stress and lack of social interactions? And some of you said, oh yeah. Of course, you can blame individuals for the loneliness epidemic, thus making them feel more alone, and tell people to make more friends, talk to more people, and drink more so you become an entertaining spectacle at the holiday party. That's bad advice, by the way. 
But the fact loneliness has been steadily increasing since the 80s, which incidentally parallels the rise of other major public health problems such as obesity, suggests the loneliness epidemic may be a systems problem rather than just an individual problem. It's time to look more closely at what aspects of our communities, our schools, our workplaces, our society may be contributing to loneliness. For example, are towns and cities being designed in ways that inhibit mixing among people? Are workplaces becoming less inclusive? How about schools, sports, and social activities? Are entertainment, hobbies, gatherings, and modes of communications discouraging real meaningful interactions? Exchanging emojis or likes is not meaningful and preventing people from really getting to know each other? Are societal expectations and barriers inhibiting people from expressing and addressing their loneliness? Systems problems require systems approaches and solutions. Perhaps every workplace and community should, should do some type of loneliness assessment to determine what systems problems may be contributing to separation, segregation, and alienation. After all, ultimately, loneliness is not a problem that should be dealt with alone. This report is pretty clear and pretty serious that people are lonely. And the article suggests that isolation is a systems problem, that we've just got some systems in our community that are causing issues, systems in our city, systems in our church, systems in our schools. And I think that's probably true, but I know that there's more to it than that. There are also spiritual dynamics to this loneliness epidemic that we're experiencing. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's all the enemy wants for your life. So I know that this is kind of what's happening. Like if you've watched any National Geographic at all, you know that a predator does what? If he's going to go after and find a meal, a predator is going to go out and they're going to try to single out one single, one single deer or antelope or say plu. Is that even a thing? I don't even know if that's a thing. That's a VeggieTales thing that came up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You don't care. They're going to try to isolate that thing, isolate the wildebeest, isolate the water buffalo. <laughs> that's another VeggieTales for the... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, isolate that thing so that he can get it. And once it's isolated, it's much, much easier to get. Do you realize that many of you are kind of in that position? Isolated, alone, out of sight of relationships, by yourself. And the enemy, it's pretty easy for him to work. It's pretty easy for him to lie to you. It's pretty easy for him to snatch you. And I don't want that to happen to you. That's why we, you and me, as the people of God today, we can step into this story. In fact, I think we need to step into this story we need to step into this narrative of loneliness and influence the people around us. We can become change agents here in our society to see this thing turned around a little bit in this divisive and disconnected and lonely culture that we live in. As God's people, you and I, we've got a profound purpose here in our city. We can make a difference in this world. You can have some great friends in your life and be an actual answer to the loneliness that plagues most of society. But good relationships don't start with others. We can't say today, all right, well, so just do a better job. When we're doing the meet and greet at church, don't sit down. You got to get out there and put yourself out there. Hey, I'm Brent Parsley. Don't. That's not going to help anybody, I promise. <laughs> That's going to actually cause you more damage than good. Don't, you can't just say that. If we're going to say, hey, we can do something about this, we don't just say, well, they just need to do a better job. No, we can't say it starts with others. Good relationships starts with us. You can't say it's their problem. No, it's our problem. You can't say, well, you need to. No, no, no. I, I actually need to do some work here, and I want Jesus to do some work in me today. i got to start with me. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Now, that's how we remember it, right? That's how we think about it most of the time. We think, oh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God. That's what I'm trying to do. That's the vision for my life. I'm a love God. I'm a love people. That's that's what I'm all about. And that's that's really good. It's just that it's it's kind of incomplete. It is important. Like Matthew 22 says, all the law and the prophets that hangs on these two commandments. Like there's no greater commandment than these two. Everything that Jesus wants for you is contained in these two ideas. But that's not everything that he said. That's that's incomplete. Matthew 22:39. He says. He said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus actually gives us a measurement for loving other people. A way to measure and find out how you're doing at loving other people. I think our ability to love others comes first and foremost from how we're doing loving ourselves. This all has to get taken care of before we're in a position to be able to reach out and take care of other people. So if you invited me over to your house, I bet you'd do a pretty good job of taking care of me. You'd probably offer me something to drink. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd give me uh, some food probably. Hey, have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Would you like a blanket? Need some spray tan? You're a little pasty. Whatever. I'm sure that you would take care of me somehow. And it would be a good thing. But that's not what Jesus is after here. He's not saying that. It, the question Jesus is pointing to is not, how will you take care of me? Or how will you take care of other people? The big question is, would I want you to take care of me the way that you take care of you? Do I want you to take care of me how you take care of you? Now, just let that sink in for a second. Would I want you to talk to me the way that you talk to you up here? Would I want you to, take to, would I want you to encourage me the way that you encourage you? Would I want you to to be on my side the way that you are on side? Do I want you to think about me the way that you think about you? It kind of changes things a little bit, I think, when you think about it this way. Today, as we start this series, I want to challenge you today to just think, think deeply about you, and not in a selfie or, or fake or, or surface kind of way, but to go deep today. What's really going on inside of you? I want you today with me to evaluate your relational health. How am I actually doing? Not based on friends, not based on followers, but simply based on your relationship with yourself, with you. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, this is getting a little weird, man. A little pop psychology happening in here. I don't know what's going on. It may sound a little weird to you, but, but all of us have these relationships. We all have a relationship with God. It may be broken. It may not be there. But all of us have some kind of relationship with God, and we have a relationship with ourselves. You have a relationship with yourself, and you've got self-talk that's in you, and you've got an identity that's been formed over the years and through your different experiences. You've got all these things inside of you, in your heart and in your mind, all these things that are rolling around, and they're coloring you. You have an internal monologue that, that is always talking to you, and what does that internal monologue say? Does it say, hey, you're awesome, you're great, you're doing a good job, oh, it's okay? Or does it say, you're the worst, you're miserable, you're filthy, disgusting? What does your internal monologue say? And those, those things, the internal monologue, the self-talk, the identity that's been formed, it will either help or hinder all of your relationships, how you relate to everybody. So to have healthy relationships, I think we've got to ask some questions of ourselves. And I'm going to ask them of you today as I'm asking them of me. If you can't be at peace with ourselves, I think we're going to have a tough time with all these other relationships in our lives. So today, I want, you, I want you to evaluate your capacity. How much capacity do I have for healthy relationship? Not just relationship. How much capacity do I have for healthy relationships? Not shallow or superficial or fake. 
Real relationships, they start from in here, in the heart, when Jesus does a work, and then they move out into the reality of your life, into your kids, and your coworkers, and your marriage, and, and all of your friends. Like it, it starts here, and it moves out there. So I'm going to ask three questions before we go. And the first question is a little bit weird, but just roll with me. I want to ask you today, and I want you to ask yourself, am I high maintenance? Am I, am I high maintenance? Now, I know, most of the room just goes, <laughs> no. I am not high maintenance. I'm so chill. Now I can tell you who is high maintenance, right? That, many of you are saying that. This, husbands, this is not the time for you to be looking at your wife. Don't poke them. Don't, just don't. That's bad, bad, bad idea. It would be the day, amen. <laughs> a little too late for you, maybe. Um, it, it's actually this different in my house. Like, Maria would be the one about me. Oh, yeah, he is high maintenance, and I kind of am. Uh, but are you high maintenance? And you say, no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm not. I, I, the other day I was, I was actually at lunch with some guys um, from the church, and we went out, and we're having lunch at Chick-fil-A, and, and one of the guys was at the counter, and he was ordering first, and, and it was just taking a really long time. Like, it was just taking forever, and I was like, man, what, what, what is going on? Can he not decide? I don't, I don't understand what's going on. So I walked over to, to hear what was happening, only to hear, like, he was saying about, like, and could you, and could you like, uh, grill the bun like extra long, and could you? Would you mind to to, to have a? I want. I'd like a well done chicken patty. I'd want to cook it extra long, so I want a I want a well done chicken patty. And and he, he was saying, uh, and then I need I need some sauces. And he was ordering like three sauces. I was like, wow, three different sauces. This is a lot of work. You know, he'd been there for like ten minutes. Uh, order three different sauces, and he's like, well, I actually wanted four, but you made me feel weird, so I only got three. So so I said, oh, do you do you? So we got four sauces, and so he's sitting there with four sauces and dipping in his well done patty. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of work. It was Saul. Oh, that feels good to get off my chest. <laughs> you guys, yeah, right? You guys, you guys. I want to, I want to say, I love Saul so much, and I'm so thankful he's doing a great job here and connecting and leading us in worship. Come on, let's let him know. He's, good. I love you, man. He did take a long time ordering a Chick Fil A, which I thought, hey, that's great, man. You do you. It wasn't really a big deal to me, but it just took a long time. So when I say, are you high maintenance, you're like, no, that's not me. I'm so easy. But, I, but actually, I think that's not true. I think you are high maintenance. You need oxygen. You need water. You need sleep. You need food. You need clothing. You've got these personal idiosyncrasies that you've got. You've got likes and dislikes. You need emotional support. You need intellectual stimulation. Like, you need a lot of stuff. People, you're needy. Every one of you, you're actually pretty needy. All of us are. You're incredibly needy. But having needs doesn't mean that you're damaged. Having needs doesn't mean that you're broken. Having needs doesn't mean that you're a disaster or you're dangerous to people. Having needs just means that you're human. You and I, we were designed actually to have those needs. I looked up high maintenance in the dictionary and it was Saul's picture. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I love you, man. You're doing a great job. Uh, I'm serious. I'm super grateful. And that's not fair of me. I actually warned him on Thursday. I was like, this is going to show up somewhere. So um, <laughs> high maintenance, if you look it up, you're going to see this. It means needing a lot of work to keep in good condition. That's true for every one of us. We need a lot of work to keep functioning and keep in good condition. Psalm 139.13 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
Most of us don't think about that too deeply, how brilliantly we're made, how he pieced you together specifically in your mother's womb, how he had a plan for you, how he crafted you. We don't think about that. And he crafted you perfectly and beautifully in your mother's womb with needs. Needs were a part of that. He gave them to you. And I think before you can really love others, you just need to own the fact that you've got them. You've got needs that you need taken care of. And the good news for all of us is, is that God loves to take care of them. He loves to take care and meet those needs. Matthew 6, 7 says, he says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. God knows what you need. He's aware of the needs that you have, and he just wants to meet them for you. This is not just theological construct. This is relational reality. This is how your relationship with God actually is. God created you to have those needs, and he is obsessively watching over you to try to help you take care of them. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Just stop it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when you admit your needs, God's not frustrated with you. He's not mad at you. He's not saying, oh, come on. What's the deal? Well done, Patty. Are you serious? He's not saying that when you confess, God, I have a need here. He's okay with it. And actually, he's going to respond to you like a father who loves to take care of your needs. When my kids have actual needs, there's nothing better than meeting those needs. I absolutely love it. And that's how your father sees you. And the sooner you're ready to admit it, I'm needy by design, the sooner you'll understand that God wants to meet those needs. And the sooner you'll become a good steward of those needs that you have. When you have a truck or car and it runs out of gas, do you get angry at the car or truck? Well, it depends on where you run out of gas, frankly. But, <laughs> but when you run out of gas, you don't say, oh, come on! This is ridiculous, stupid truck! Why do you need so much gas? You don't, you don't do that. Although I would like to see you on the side of the road doing it. That would absolutely make my day. But, but, but you don't do that. Why? Because you know it's made that way. It's created to need gas to function properly. Everybody, God made you. He knows what you need, and he's pumped about meeting those needs for you. So I think you should just say it with me. Just turn to your neighbor and say, <laughs> I'm high maintenance. Go ahead, just do it. Do it. It'll be good for you. I'm high maintenance. I am. I'm high maintenance. Don't agree with them. Don't agree with them. Just say, okay. And listen, it's not whiny for you to admit that you have needs. Some of the men are like, whoa, I, I don't got no needs. I'm fine. I can handle it. I can take it. I don't need nothing. I'm self-sustained. Oh, really? Why don't you stop eating for a week? <laughs> this rain's making me punchy. Uh, <laughs> it's not wimpy. You're not a wimp to admit that you have needs. It's cool. Just admit it. And actually, everybody... I think neediness is something that's really important for you to understand because in it, you understand the gospel. You understand that Jesus came to meet the need that you couldn't. Jesus came to, to, to help you come back to God when you were separated from him. And Jesus was the only one that could meet that need. You've got to embrace your neediness if you're gonna embrace the gospel. It's an important part of who we are. So you just gotta settle it. I'm needy, you're needy, we're all needy. 
You don't have, have to have it all together to be around here. We don't care about that. We love it. And God wants to meet your needs, and you should look to him and let him do it. And God wants to put you in a position where you can be with people so those people can help meet your needs. Which leads us to the second question, which is, what's my relational rhythm? Like, if God designed me to be in a space where my, some of my needs can be met by other people, what is my relational rhythm? Because everybody is so busy. If you ask people today, hey, how you doing, man? What's the most common response that you get? Here's the one I get. I'm busy. I'm so busy. I think like 10 or 15 years ago, it was, hey, man, how you doing? They would say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because they didn't really want to tell you how they really were doing, and they just would pass on and keep on about their business. But today, it's like this badge of honor. How you doing, man? I'm so busy. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe all the stuff I have to do. You don't understand how important I am to everyone and everything around here. If I'm not doing the things I'm doing, then the whole world is going to fall apart because I'm busy. Okay, we get it. Good for you. You know it because your, your schedule's full. It's full of, full of work stuff and full of sports stuff and full of friends and hopefully a date with your wife and you've got all these things because you're scheduled, scheduled totally up to the full. And I think if we're not careful, we end up scheduling God and friends right out of our lives. We schedule so much that he just gets scheduled. I don't got time for that. I don't have time for devotions today. I don't have time to spend time with you today. I got to get to work. That place will fall apart without me. Do you know that I was gone this summer for six weeks on a sabbatical? I left. I wasn't here. And I came back and things were better than when I left. I probably shouldn't say that out loud too many times. But my point is, you're not as important as you think you are. But Brent, it's so godly for me to fill up my calendar. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing the work. No, it's actually not. Because so often you filled up your calendar without asking the primary relationship what you should be filling it up with. You forgot to ask. You forgot to include, hey, God, what do you want me to do this week? What do you want me to do today? How do you want me to spend my time today? Those calendars, they get filled out without the input of our primary relationship. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And if you'll do that, he'll give you everything that you'll need. When our lives revolve around our calendar instead of the creator, the relational rhythm that we're supposed to have, it gets messed up. It gets off rhythm. Jesus is saying here, look, to be healthy, our first and, and most important relationship, it has to be with God. You've got to make priority for that one. Because that relationship will determine what you do with everything else. That relationship will determine how all the other relationships turn out. So then our second relationships, they get determined by that first relationship. God, is this somebody? Where do they fit in my life? If I've got this relationship figured out, I can find the places for these people. Remember, the greatest commandment, it has two parts. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, have relationship with him. Love people, have relationship with them. So, do you have it? Do you have a relational rhythm with God every day, spending time, getting to know him better? Do you have a relational rhythm with other people in your life? Do you have rhythm for devotion? Do you have rhythm for family? Do you have rhythm for your friendships? Do you have a rhythm for rest? I have a rhythm for rest every week. At uh, Friday night at 6 p.m., we just kind of say enough is enough, and we just stop, and we take a Sabbath from, from 6 p.m., Friday night to 6 p.m. Saturday night, and we just love Jesus, and we worship, and we eat together, and we have fun. We spend time as a family. Like, we just say, I'm going to shut down six and one, six and one, six days, one day. Work six days, rest one day. It's what he, it's what he gave us. We, we're, he gave us the opportunity to do it. Why would you say no to that? Do you have rhythms like this in your life? Because I think you can't have one without the other. You can't say, I love God, and you don't have people in your life. 
And you can say, oh yeah, I love God, but you don't have people in your life, but it's, it's just, it's never going to work that way. You've got to have both. And if you don't, I think what happens is life beats you up. If you don't have a rhythm, if you don't work on this beat that God has given to you, this rhythm, this beat that's supposed to be in your life, I think life beats you up. It beats you up in your busyness because you, you just, I'm overscheduled and I'm just so tired all the time and I just can't, I can't seem to make it. It beats you up in isolation. Man, I'm just out here on my own and I don't know how to get out of this. I just, I'm getting picked off. It beats you up in fear because you don't have anybody that's joining arms with you and kind of helping you make it through life. God gave you relational rhythms and you just got to say yes. That's why groups, everybody, that's why groups are so important. That's why catalyst groups today, that's why they're so important. That's why just being on team one and just finding a place to serve with a team of people, it's why it's so important for all of us. Everybody needs six to eight people that absolutely know you and know who you are. They know your stuff and they love you anyway. They've seen you at your worst and they love you anyway. Can I just tell you that I have that? I have that and it makes me feel safe. I feel safe and confident and secure because I can freely say, you guys, I'm struggling with this. You guys, I'm tempted by this. You guys, I'm having a hard time with this. Oh, it's okay. I've experienced that too. Come on, let's get together. Let's pray about this. Let's work through it together. There is safety. There is power in the stuff that I'm trying to tell you today. Do you have people who will help you grow spiritually? Do you have people who will help you when a crisis comes? Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who, has, who falls and has no one to help him up. Which leads us to our third question today, and that is, all right, if this is true, what's God asking of me? What does God want from me? Do you know what the first question is in the Bible? You know what it is? Think about it. It happens pretty early. It's in Genesis 3, 2. It says, he, the serpent, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The first question in the Bible is, did God really say? And the serpent, the devil, the enemy, he, he's the one who said it. Did God really say? <laughs> that was gross, wasn't it? I don't like it. Let's never do that again. Did God really say? And this is what he uses today, actually. It's one of the top plays in his playbook. Do you really believe that God has your best interest in heart? Did God really say, do you really believe that those people that he's put in your life, do you really believe they're going to be able to help you and help you meet those needs? Do you really believe that? It's the question that he's asking you today. Do you really think you need to get in a group? Do you really think that you should get into Catalyst and join a group there? Do you, do you really think you should serve on Team One? Like, don't you think you're pretty good at it? Don't you think that you're fine just the way you are? Don't you think you don't have time for that? Do you really believe that you, you don't need anything? You're awesome. It's a lie. We all need it. Did God really say? Do you really believe? I know you're like, Brent, I, okay, fine, but man, I, you don't understand. I've been hurt before. I, I get that. It's not going to be perfect. I, I totally, I confess that. It, it won't be perfect. But I think families like the one that we're trying to build around here, they fight through it. They work through the issues. They work through the trouble. They work through the fight. And I can just tell you from experience of 43 years, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Because without it, you're isolated and alone. You know when the best time is to build relationships, to prepare for a crisis? This is yesterday. Like we should already be doing it. Because I've watched too many people that they fall into a crisis and they, can't, they have nobody to help them. They, they need to go to the hospital and just, they, they have nobody to take them. 
They, they need to move, and they can't get, they're getting evicted from their house, and they can't find anybody to help them get out of there. So they're just frantically calling around, and they're just moving stuff by themselves. Crises come to our lives, and the time prepared for them is yesterday. It's now. Investing in relationships, already working towards it. So when the crisis comes to your life, you're ready. You've got people to say, we're here with you. We can do this. Eric, Jason, their family just moved yesterday. And, and had a whole bunch of people come and just help him because he's, he's got a shoulder that he's operated on. He can't lift stuff. And so people came over and went to their house because they love him and because they're involved and they have a relationship, and they helped him move. They were in a crisis because he couldn't do it, and people helped him move. Isn't that beautiful? Do you have that? Everybody, you can. You go to this church. You can have that. Let's wrap this up really quick. You know the second question is in the Bible? Second question comes shortly after that, and it's in Genesis 3, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Second question in the scriptures is, where are you? Now, was God confused as to Adam and Eve's location? <laughs> hey, oh, where'd those guys go? I know I put two naked people in here somewhere, and I don't know where they went. I, he wasn't confused. I get, they were clothed by this time, actually. But, but he wasn't confused. This is not a geographical question, where are you? This is an emotional question, and you, you can see it, because Adam answers emotionally. In Genesis 3.10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid. I hid. It's not a geographical question at all. And God's asking you the same question today, and it's not geographical. It's about you. Hey, where are you today? Where are you? What, where is the, state, the status of your life? Another way to ask it for us today is just what, what is the condition of your soul? What's the condition of your soul? Because I think God, for all of us today, he's asking, where are you? Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. And would you just for a second let that question resonate in your heart? Because I really think God's asking you today, where, where are you? What, what's the status of your heart? What's the condition of your soul? Do you, do you have these things? Do you have a relational rhythm? Are you able to just be okay with the fact that I got needs and they're not going to be able to be taken care of on their own? I have relational needs in my life. I, I have... I have financial needs. I have professional needs. I want to get better. I have, I have emotional needs. Like I, I have needs, and if I'm not connected to anybody, nobody can help those. Where are you? And look, man, there's no condemnation today. There's no, nobody's mad at you. Nobody's frustrated because you don't have it. We just, we just want you to find it because it's made all the difference in my life. So where are you? With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and maybe just answer the question. And I'm going to pray for you, and I, I want you maybe, if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to ask you to move anywhere. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm just going to ask you between you and him, you just respond to that. And if he's saying, where are you? And you've been saying, I was afraid. I hid. I didn't want to be known. I felt like I was too busy. I didn't know. If you want to say, God, I, I just want to come out in the open, and I want you to find me and let's take the first step and just tell him that. Just right where you are in your seat, you just tell him, Heavenly Father, all over this room, I pray for every person that's been isolated and lonely 
and alone and busted. God, I pray that you would rescue them today. Father, all across this room, we're opening up our hearts and we're saying, God, I, I want you to find me. I'm going to step out of the shrubbery. I'm going to step out of the bushes. I'm going to step out into the light, and I need you to find me. I've been afraid. I was wounded. I was hurt. I was hiding. But today, I just want to come out into the open, and I want you to find me, and I want to start this life with you. I want to start a life where you're meeting my needs. I want to start a life where people around me are meeting my needs. I want to say yes to your plan for me. So Jesus, I pray that you would help everybody in this room that's in that state, help them to have courage, help them to have endurance, help them to take the first steps out into the light. And God, do a miracle in them. It won't be perfect. It's not all gonna be just perfect. It's not all gonna go according to plan. We get all of that, but give us the grace and the strength to push through, to see it through to completion and let love abound in our hearts, lives, and church. Help people in this room today to know that it's okay to have bags, it's okay to have stuff, it's okay to have issues. God, let them find their place here today in this family. Lord, receive us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...